Good afternoon. This is part three of the teaching series in Ephesians. In last episode, we were in chapter one, uh, looking at verses three through 14, which is one long sentence where Paul starts out the letter after his introduction with this uh, one long sentence, which is a praise where it says, uh, or blessed, he says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, or depending on translation, it may even see praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Where Paul starts off the letter with this um, this proclamation of praise and thanksgiving for who God is and what He's done, and it started off with talking about the the blessings that we have, the the spiritual blessings that are in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, and that God has blessed us with. And they start back before before time began. He said, before the foundation of earth, God, before the foundation of the world, that the, the God the Father has chosen us. And uh, so the, these blessings come from there. And God sending Christ in the flesh and coming into the flesh to give himself as a, as a sacrifice for our sins that we might experience all the blessings that come in Christ. And I talked to, about the, that word propitiation or atoning sacrifice, uh, which comes from Romans chapter 3, verse 24 through 25, that Paul was trying to uh, speak to the, the Ephesians as he's writing this letter to a majority of them being pagan, coming from pagan backgrounds. They did not see their pagan gods as being predisposed to be benevolent. And Paul is making this contrast right at the very beginning of the letter to speak about God's blessing us and his heart for us so they would understand God differently than the pagans, they, pagan gods that they had worshipped. See, God was predisposed to be benevolent where, where the, for, for the pagan gods when they worshipped them. They they would bring these uh, these propitiations, these atoning sacrifices, in hopes to appease these pagan gods that that they would, would might give them some type of benevolent and change their fate. And Paul saying, God the Father is not like that. He's different than those pagan gods. He's been always been predisposed and purposed to be benevolent, and in wanting us to experience His blessings, He provided the appeasement. He provided the atoning sacrifice. In Christ, and in that, Paul is writing to them and to us, trying to convince them and us that what our fathers like is different than the gods we know. Even even if it's like the gods that we may have had perspective of uh, of, of harsh religion and, and legalism, God is God the Father is not like uh, the pagan gods or the the, the religious gods of legalism. And so he's trying to establish that, that we have a different perspective because our perspective and how we know him shapes how we respond to him, how we see life and circumstances and how we rest in him. And what we expect from him is based on how we see him and how we trust him. And Paul's trying to establish that right in the very beginning in talking about praising God for who he is and the blessings he's blessed us in Christ Jesus and choosing us and giving us redemption through the blood of Christ and giving the forgiveness of sins from all our trespasses, so we can experience the riches of God's grace that's been poured out on us, been lavished upon us. That's what we talked about last week. And I want to pick up there uh, and, and go back and, and, um, and start. Let's read over verse uh, 3 through 14 again, because uh, we're going to talk about bits and pieces of all of it here as we, we go through this, this, this uh, episode here. And uh, verse 3 of chapter 1 of, Ep- of Ephesians reads, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. 
in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a, as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and earth, and in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things, according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the Holy promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our, our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I'm going to, I'm going to read verse t- uh, 3 again. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. And it says, We are blessed with every spiritual blessing, not just some of them, but every spiritual blessing in heavenly realms. Everyone, not just some, Every spiritual enrichment we need, every spiritual benefit we need, every spiritual gift we need for this life we are given to us by Christ Jesus, by, by the Father. John 10.10 10 talks about the thief, talking about the devil came to steal, to kill and destroy, but Jesus, he came to give us life and life abundantly. See, these blessings are, are spiritual. They're not just material. They're, they're heavenly, not just earthly. They're eternal, not just temporal. Sometimes these blessings come to us as a result of what we would really never consider a blessing like a loss or suffering or pain or trouble. In those circumstances, we encounter God and meet Him there. And He cares for us in such a way that we experience the greatest blessings of all. Their enrichments, their benefits, their gifts to us in those moments that we still can have life and life abundantly, even in the midst of circumstances of pain, suffering, and sorrow. And he says, then he says, where these blessings are, these blessings are in heavenly places. Now, the question would be, why is that significant? Only blessings in heavenly places? What about earthly places? Talks about heavenly places. And here's a contrast that he's making to the, to the, especially to the pagans that, or the previous pagans, those that were part of the, the Greeks, the Gentiles were part of that pagan culture and the pagan uh, gods that they worshipped in that 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 culture of of uh, worship multitudes of various uh, gods. And, um, and he says, these, you have these blessings in heavenly realms. This is a contrast to the earthly realms of the, the Ephesian goddess like Ar- Artemis. So the Gentiles who that were part of this pagan culture with all these different pagan gods, Paul is wanting to make this, this point, this contrast between those gods and the God we have in the Father, the Creator of the heavens and the earth. And says so the pagans, see the pagan the Gentiles before believing Christ, they believed in these 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 gods they they worshipped, they brought sacrifices to, in hopes of appeasing them, getting favor with them, and hopefully the, the, these gods would become benevolent. But they also had these 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 thoughts or beliefs of there's these different these uh, multiple different levels with in the heavens. And that they were ruled and controlled by all these different kinds of deities and gods that they, that they worshipped. And they provided these sacrifices in hopes that they would find favor 
with these deities, not only for changing fate in this life, but that, that would help them pass through heaven, through the heavens. And when they were sacrificing for these deities, in hopes that they would be marked or sealed by those deities, and that they could then safely pass through those specific levels of heaven. And here, let's. I want to. I'm going to go to verse 13 of this here, uh, in chapter one, and read it again. It says, "In Him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed, or you were marked." with the promised Holy Spirit. And if you were to go to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 20 21, Paul uh, starts into his prayer talking, and he talks about that he worked in, in Christ, when he talking about God the Father, when he worked in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, and power, and dominion, above every name that's named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. See, Paul was letting them know in this very beginning that that in Christ they had already been marked. They had been marked and sealed by the Holy Spirit, God Himself marking them and sealing them. And that Christ, it, 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 he'll 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 tell them in in chapter one, verse twenty twenty one, about that they are in Christ. They are with Him in the heavenly places, and He, Christ, He rules above all. All rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, every name that's named, all the different deities they ever worshipped, all the different pagan gods that they they sacrificed to. Paul is telling them, Jesus rules over all of them, and He sits at the right hand of the of the Father in those heavenly places, and He has rule over all of them, authority over all every one of them, not just in this age, but in the, in the one to come. And you've been marked. So you have safe passage, not only uh, not, not through the different levels like the deities, but you already are with him. We're going to, we're going to read in, in uh, chapter 2 that we are already in Christ and we are with him in heaven. So Paul is letting them and us know that they and us have found favor in Christ in and have been blessed with every blessing possible. And that they and us have been marked, we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, and that they and us are in Christ, and that Christ rules over every other so-called gods that people think of that are in the heavens. He rules over all in this age and in the age to come. In verse in verse uh, 3, Paul also says that God has blessed us in Christ, See, being in Christ is, we're going to see that's an important theme throughout Ephesians. And so what does Paul mean by in Christ? This is the reason we have these blessings. They are based solely of our being in Christ. They are not ours based on some worth or merit or work on our own. It's based only in Christ's merit and in Christ's worth. And God sees us in Christ and through Christ. See, Jesus is the foundation of the church and of all benefits and the completion of our salvation. Apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And, and, and we, are, we are nothing. That is, we amount to nothing spiritually. It's only in Christ, being in Him, where Christ uh, puts us in Christ and sees us in Christ. I guess the, the, the question could be, that is, have we received all these blessings already? The answer is yes and not yet. You know, Paul's aware that, that the readers um, 
have not yet themselves experienced every spiritual blessing. We have not experienced the blessing of having our our redeemed bodies, our our, our, our of Christ coming back in the fullness of the kingdom. But we have received these blessings in Christ. They're already ours. We may not fully experience all of them. That's this. That's the um, where we get the terms the already and the not yet. There's the kingdom has broken in, and it's things of the kingdom have come to be a blessing to us in this age, but there's not the fullness of them yet. See, the blessings of the age to come have come to us through the reign of God in Christ, and so we're assured of them eventually that we will have them all in Christ. That's the seal. That's what we're marked for. That's the guarantee we have in the Holy Spirit. We've been united with Christ, and we've already begin begun to participate in some of those hopes that are in the blessings the, 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 the hope blessings we have in Christ. I'm going to read from Second Peter, uh, chapter one, verse three through five. And Peter's writing to 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 the church then, and he says, "His power, God's power, has granted it to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises." so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desires. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge. So here Peter's talking about the, the, the blessings that come to us. We, are, we, we already start to experience and we become partakers of the divine nature. Our life starts to change and we start to experience more of the reality of who Christ is in our life and becoming more and more like him and experience the, the blessings that come that have already come to us in Christ and to secure the fullness of them, we will have one day completely when Christ returns or when we die. I want to return to um, the idea of, of knowing what the Father is like, how important that is, so we are not deceived about him when we encounter hardship or suffering or trouble and that we're not swayed from his perspective, his heart for us, and his purposes. So I want to read a couple of scriptures here, and we're going to talk about God's sovereignty and working all things. Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1, it says, Paul writes, he's, a, he's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And in, in verse 4 of chapter 1, he says, he's cho- He chose us in him before the foundations of the world. And he, the God, has predestined us. In verse 5, he's predestined us in, in uh, uh, according to, uh, as for excuse me, he's predestined us for adoption of sons through Christ Jesus, and it's according to the purpose of his will. In verse 9, he's there's a mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he has set forth in Christ. He's made known those mysteries to us, and it's according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. In verse 10, there's a plan for the fullness of time. In verse 11, predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What is Paul implying or, or calling their attention to, our attention to, as we read those verses? We see this as he's talking about, blessed be the God and Father, praise be to him. And he's talking about these things that, that God's will, he chose us before the foundation of the world, he's, he predestined us, it's according to the purpose of his will. There's the mystery of his will, and it's according to his purposes. He set that forth in Christ. There's a plan for the fullness of time, which is going to come to an end at some point. And he's predestined uh, according to the purpose of, of him, he works all things according to the counsel of his will. Paul is trying to call our attention to the reality of God's sovereignty. 
recognizing and celebrating the eternal, the all-powerful, the all-knowing, the sovereign God. And Paul is declaring that God is a God of strong purpose, and he has a specific will, plan, and purpose. And he is a God who is a person, he's personally attentive to the affairs of earth. He's not distant, he's not disconnected. In creation, before the foundations of the world, he chose us. So there was a specific purpose for creation, who we are at this place in time, in God's plan, and, and, and he's working all things according to counsel of will. So he's a, he's a God who is personally attentive to the affairs of earth and heaven. He's involved. He's there. In particular, our lives and how they fit in his purposes, how how we our, our lives are in alignment with his greater purpose. See, it helps us see like God is this this is is this overseer over this grand redemptive plan from before creation to the end of time or this age. And within that, there's these lives over over six thousand so many years now that God has been working all those things according to the counsel of his will, bringing about a plan and a purpose. So he's trying to work our lives into alignment of his. And he's a God of sequenced and strategic timing and divine interventions as we looked at in the very first, in part one, how God blocks Paul from going a certain way, then he brings him into a certain place, he brings certain people together, a certain time and, and place to bring about his ends. And so that's a, he's a God of sequence and a God of strategic timing, of, of, of intersection of people and aligning people in, in, in certain places and time for God's uh, purposes, for an in, uh, uh, profound impact on, on humanity. So again, Paul is contrasting the, 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 the different pagan deities and gods that they previously uh, would have been a part of in, in the concepts of, of fate that they believed in, um, that held them captive for so long. He's contrasting them to the, the Father, the creator of heaven and earth. See, see, they and us can be captive to fate, um, and, and he's calling them not to be captive any longer. But he wants them to know they have a strong purpose for their life, and their, their choices do matter. See, in fate, it didn't, they didn't see their choices as mattering. It was, it was settled, all things and there was no, there was an impersonal force, and there's no greater purpose beyond themselves. But Paul is trying to get them and us to understand our choices do matter, and there's a purpose beyond ourselves. And it's not just about ourselves, but it's for eternity and for God and for the praise of God's glory. And so that's what he's trying to get them to understand and us to understand. Paul is is, is uh, writing this because he's trying to turn the reader's eyes away from themselves. And from any fears and uncertainties uh, from their small world and their, their sense of lack of significance, and to turn their eyes and their hearts toward the majesty and the power and the love of God that Paul knows. He wants to turn their eyes and their heart to, the, to, the, to God's grander story that's from eternity past to the eternity future. And that he was, that God himself was fulfilling his plan and that they and we have the privilege of being chosen by God to be a participant in his eternal plan. That's what Paul's writing this for. It's not just as a praise and a thanksgiving, but also to, to stir their hearts to what God's doing and what they're called to be a part of. Let me reread verses uh, 4, 9, and 10. It says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. 
9. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ. And verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Paul talks about this mystery here. And what does this mystery include here? See, Paul's reminding them that they've been lit in on a mystery. This, this secret, this, this divine secret that God had purposed before the foundation of the world when he chose them to be a part of it. See, this is, a, this is a part of God's eschatological plan, the plan for the end of, the, uh, end of this age. And it was chosen and, 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 and planned before the foundation of the world. It was purposed in Christ before the foundation of the world. It, it was concealed before, but that it's now been revealed in Christ. And, and Paul's stressing that God is fulfilling this grand plan, His will. He's working all things according to the counsel of His will. And that, that will encompasses the entire sweep of human history from the beginning of created or, the created order to the, to the very end of it. And this is not a, a plan that he had to figure out after, after Adam sinned as if God was caught off guard. No, the, God knew this before, ta- before time began. And so before Adam sinned, so when Adam sinned, that was all seen within God's understanding and the mystery of what was going to fold at, at the end of time. I want to turn us turn to another scripture, Isaiah forty six, verse nine through ten, and the writer here, the prophet Isaiah, is writing as if God's speaking, and he and it says, "Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose." When I say Isaiah is speaking like he's God, he's not God. God is, he's writing down as if God is saying this to the people. And, and, and Isaiah is just his mouthpiece or his, his writing. See, God is eternal and he exists in the eternal now. There's no time necessarily like we see time. See, God rules over time. It, it, he's not constrained by time. We use words like planning, but there's no planning with God. God is all-knowing, so he knows everything there has ever been and ever will be, all at the same moment. And so there's no planning. It's not because God, uh, he knows what, what will happen in the future, but because the future already is all the time with him. See, he already, he already has, a, has a time within him. He sees it already done. So he declares the end from the beginning, from ancient, ancient time, things not yet done. And he says, my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish my purpose. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do, basically he's saying, and, and I'm, going to, I'm going to do it and no one's going to stop me. No one's going to thwart what I've purposed. And if we go back to Ephesians 1.10, he, he says here, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Let me actually read, read verse 9 through 10, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, meaning there's, there's this will, the secret thing that's now been revealed, and it's according to his purpose, all been there all along, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. So what does that mean? Paul mentions this plan for the fullness of time. This is really God's dream. This is God's vision. This is God's God's purposes for the very end, for the fullness of time when it comes to its close. All of history is moving toward the ultimate 
culmination of what God has purposed. And that will be, he'll unite all things, everything, not just some things, but all things will come into subjection to God's rule. So Paul's letting them and us know that we are, they are, a part of God's eternal plan, his grand plan and purpose, and that history is moving towards that ultimate culmination. And he wants us to understand that we are called to live our life in, in understanding that. That's supposed to shape how we see life. And he says all things will come, uh, he's going to unite all things in him. Now what does all things mean? It means all things. Christ's mission extends beyond the human race. Christ didn't come just to redeem humanity, but to redeem the entire created order. All things will come into subjection to Christ. First, see, Adam's uh, sin. When he sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, it was it was a, a cosmic, cosmic proportions. See, it was like when throwing a rock in a pond and, and the ripple of the waves reached to the every shore of that lake. So when Adam sinned, it impacted the farthest, ex- farthest extents of the created order. They were all f- uh, affected by them. And the result of Christ's work on the cross was not just about us and our forgiveness. Though it says that here, there's much more to it than that. It includes our adoption as sons and becoming part of father, the Father's family. It includes being made holy and blameless before God, as, as we read not just in the future, but right now. That's how God sees us, because we're in Christ. It includes our inheritance, and we've been sealed. And it reaches all things, all things in earth and in heaven, material and spiritual. Now, Colossians 1, 15-17 reads, He, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created in heaven and in earth. Visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus died to bring all things back into subjection to the Father. He reconciled and brought peace to the entire created order, to the farthest reaches of the universe. See, these words reconcile, though, and united do not mean that it's a universal salvation, that everyone in the end, no matter if they turn to Christ in this life or not, will be reconciled to God. That's not what the, that, those words mean. See, right now, people can reject that order that Jesus came to bring, right? We see it all the time. I was like that before I became a follower of Christ. I rejected him. But there's coming a day Willingly or not, every knee will bow, but not necessarily experience the peace and the being united to the Father. But all, every knee will bow and confess Jesus Christ as Lord. See, Paul is presenting Jesus Christ, the Lord of the cosmos. He's the goal of all of history. He's the end. He's the fulfillment. And Paul is giving us this this larger-than-life view of God's redeeming purposes and actions in Christ. Here's the mystery unfolding, helping us understand it's not just to be forgiven our sins. He has purposed to redeem all things. And he's using these terms and this imagery that that breaks us past time and space. And he wants us to see this. This is beyond our imagination. All that we can think or imagine. He'll talk about in Ephesians chapter 3, 20. 
Paul is letting uh, this this, uh, struggling Christian community in Asia Minor, and he's letting us know that that we are engaged in this redemptive drama. And it's it's this ginormous uh, event, a a ginormous purpose and plan. It's huge in scope, and it's compelling us to join in and participate with God and what God is doing. And so here's this, this contrast between fate and determinism that they would have held to before the belief in Christ. And here, where they, they had no choice, it didn't matter their, their choices, they were locked into this fate that they were stuck with, and there was no greater plan. But now Paul's saying, no, 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 no. You, God, before the foundation or, or the, the creation, before the foundation of all things, uh, he uh, had a purpose in mind, a plan, and he had us is a part of that plan. And he chose us before time began to be participants with him in this destiny where we, our choices matter and what we do and respond to God is a part of his plan. And we see what he's doing. And Paul is trying to get them to understand there's this greater plan and we're called to live our life in alignment with this grander plan of God. And so let's, let's get to the last couple of verses, verse 13 to 14 of chapter 1. In him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. He's telling them and us, when we put our faith in Christ, when we believed in him, we were sealed, or we were marked with the Holy Spirit, having been guaranteed our inheritance. See, the Holy Spirit comes to us in our belief, comes to live in us, God's very presence living in us. He's a down payment. He's like a deposit, guaranteeing the full payment is coming. Here's another picture of the already not yet. We have experienced part of the kingdom reality that God is working us and all the blessings that come with the kingdom and God's pleasure being poured out on us. We have, we've, we've experienced a part of that in the Holy Spirit. And He has come to live with us and guarantee uh, what is promised in the fullness of time of that mystery that Christ, all things are going to come and be united to Him and be, be brought under subjection of His Lordship. And we already are experiencing that now. And so that's our guarantee. It's our deposit. It's like the down payment. And I would say there's also subsequent payments Payments he makes to us, as Paul will talk about being, it, we're called to be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's a be being. It's a constant being filled with the Holy Spirit to remind us of whose we are, who we are, who lives within us, and what in the fullness of time we will be a part of. And we're called to live in the light of that right now. Now, why does God do all this? Here's Paul's praise. And he's saying, Blessed be the Father, and praise be to the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ. Verses 5, 6, 12, and 14 tell you why God does these things, why God has chosen us, why God had this purpose, why he has us a part of his plan, and why he's given us this deposit. He says in verse 5, he predestined us, for adoption of sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. That word purpose can also mean to the good pleasure of his will. 
See, God predestined us to adoption. He wanted us as his children, as sons and daughters through Christ Jesus. And this was according to his good pleasure. See, before the foundation of the world, he predestined that for us to be brought into his family. That was a part of his good pleasure. That's the reason he does things, for his pleasure. Verse 6 says, To the praise of his glorious grace, which, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 12 so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the, to the praise of His glory. In verse 14, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. See, all these things Paul is talking about doing, it's, it's, it's not centered on us, though we are benefited of it and we have the great blessings of it all. Ultimately, God do, does it for Himself for his own pleasure and for his purposes and for his glory. That's the ultimate purpose of these things. And Paul's saying, say, he's saying that he's blessed us in the beloved. He's, he's, uh, we've been the first to believe in Christ and, uh, and that he's given us uh, this guarantee of the Holy Spirit marking us so we could live to the praise of his glory and his glorious grace. That's our purpose, living our life in alignment to his greater purposes brings glory and honor to Him, and brings pleasure to Him. And when we start to live in the pleasure of God, we start to experience God's pleasure in our own life. And that's why he Paul's writing them, recognize God's greatest pleasure for us to experience is Him Himself. And that happens when we live in Him and live for Him by the power of His Holy Spirit. Next week, we'll pick up uh, starting in verse 15 of chapter 1. Until then, you have a blessed week. God bless.